0: Live at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company.
1: Kicking off Cofield and Company as we're live on the road. The roads we're actually uh, stationed at Treasure Island, like we are in the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar every week. John Von Tobel along in just a little bit. So get on down on this uh, Friday to check out what's going on at Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar with the fifty-five plus TVs. Happy hour going down betting kiosks, live betting windows as well. I am on the road for the final UNLV Run and Rebel road game as they're taking on uh, rival Nevada. So I'm in Reno getting things going here for this three-hour extravaganza. You know, I've been waiting to catch up with this guy, R.J. Clifford, a uh, former co-worker, and uh, all over the Raiders beat, but also all over MMA. So we're going to get to John Jones and the big fight in town. And this is a massive weekend, R.J. I know you're in town. This is a massive weekend in Vegas. These are the weekends we dream of because we've got UFC going down at T-Mobile. NASCAR is up at the Speedway. So -hmm. we got that going down. We got basketball action with conference tournaments, the first of five starting in Vegas. There's actually a tennis invitational with some of the top tennis players uh, in the world playing on Sunday. So this is a crazy, crazy week and a bunch of concerts as well. So uh, you uh, you are in Vegas. So
2: the trip been good so far? So far, so good. Yeah, um, I wish I knew all these things. I would I would have packed all the booze <laughs> before all the fans drank it all up before I have a chance to get to it. Although I will say, I think the UFC fans are probably the biggest drinkers out of all of them, biggest partiers.
1: Well, you know, out of town, and actually we'll tie it back into what's going on in town. Out of town, the Raiders are a big deal, you know, getting through the combine here, trying to collect information, talk to our other uh, organizations, possible trades out there. There's a ton of Raider news, but I'm going to start off with something light. Uh, and I know you, you gravitated to this when I threw it up on social media. It's a weird deal with the Raiders because a lot of the big-time brass is actually coming back from the Combine a little bit early. Mm -hmm. And the thought was, oh, they're going to go to a wedding. And then we found out a couple days ago there's multiple weddings to choose from. Kelsey Plum's a megastar in Vegas with the Aces, and she's had a rather long-time relationship with Raiders tight end Darren Waller. Meanwhile, Max Crosby has a child with his girlfriend. Well, this is his wedding weekend, but Plum and Waller announced they're getting married on Saturday. Crosby's getting married on Saturday. And now the hitch is, if you want to go to one of them, and I'm not mocking on this because obviously they need to do what they need to do. I don't know that these are dry weddings, but they probably could be because of addiction issues in both of the couples. And I'm not saying the female side has an addiction issue, but uh, you and I are kind of a different breed. And if we go party, we, we don't always have self-control and maybe we need to self-medicate a bit. So
2: <laughs> dry weddings. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it's so weird how they're both like, and these aren't just like two Raiders. Like there's like the two giant I mean, superstar Raiders. Yeah. Like these are first like, like, this is like, oh, you know, our, you know, like, oh, our backup guard is good, you know. Alex bars is going to have to change his wedding because you know, Max Crosby's been like, no, like, these are two massive stars. It's like, if you're on that team, like how do you choose? Right. It's like, who's, who's, whose parent are you going to Christmas at when they're divorced? So I feel like the way you get out of it is if one of them's dry and one of them isn't, you just say like, look, I'm not picking Darren over you, Max. It's just, he's got an open bar and you don't like, I just, you know, you don't want to see me dance sober. So that's, that's the only reason I'm picking it. So I'm trying to like, if I'm trying to give, like, fell I don't want this to be a schism on the team. I don't want this to be a problem moving forward, Team Max Wedding, Team Darren Wedding, as the offseason rolls into the regular season. So I'm trying to give players out, Steve. I'm trying to give them, like, excuses to pick one without hurting the feeler, feelings of the other.
1: And I really want our local media, led by Adam Hill, who, of course, is the reigning Nevada sports writer of the year for 2022, to do his job and get us the dirt. Like, I don't yeah. – the Combine stuff is on the back burner right now. Yeah. I need to know – how this went down, why the Waller Plum Wedding has been announced so late, what time are the weddings, can you go to both? And by the way, and we'll get to it, the other thing is, this is a gigantic Raiders weekend because not only, maybe this is the dry part where we can eliminate the dry part, it doesn't matter, not only do they have two weddings they can attend, but Chandler Jones' brother, John, is fighting, so that's going to be a big Raiders event. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of Raiders wanting to hang out with their buddy Chandler, who's watching his brother, John, so very big weekend for the Raiders. Let me, let me tell you, RJ has been doing a podcast that is tremendous on the Raiders, the autumn windbags and the content that he's got up now on YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else that you can get a podcast is freaking nuts. So I want to build from this. So we got the potential, as you called it a schism, I'll call it a schism, right on the team. When you have to pick one teammate over the other, this in no way could be a sign that Darren Waller's like, you know what?
2: Throw caution to the wind. I don't even know if I'm gonna be here. He's felt more and more aloof the last few seasons. Like as time has gone by, he's felt a little bit more distance. Like, you know, he's I'm not, you know, I'm not this like Bill Belichick guy. Like you have to live, breathe, eat, sleep, football. Like when you're taking a leak, you have to like have your phone out going over plays. Like, you know, you can have your other activities. Like you could be different players are wired different ways, but Waller just seems like just the injury was so weird, right? Like it was the back and then it was the hip and then he should be back and he's not. And then like, Oh, he'll be back from injury reserve. And then he wasn't. And, um, you know, we thought, okay, maybe like, is he playing hardball with, you know, we wanted a new contract early in the season renegotiate. Okay, he got the contract still didn't play. It's weird, man. Like if you're looking at like, who's, if you're trying to be like loyal to the Raiders, if that's like, if that's, I can't imagine that's how like, a football player thinks when they're trying to decide what wedding to go to. But, like it was a part of your thought process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to the guy who's the only thing on our defense that cared with the Raiders tattoo. Like I'm going to Max's wedding. Right. right, like, right. Don't you have to? Waller's been there a little longer, like a little bit, a little sexier. Right. Se- you know, offense versus de- maybe it's just an offense defense thing. Maybe they just decided like offense, go one place defense, go other Daniel Carlson and AJ Cole. You guys flip a coin.
1: Do we have a major controversy if Foster Morrow is like, Crosby?
2: Uh I hope not. <laughs> that's hope all not. you need, right? conversation. It's like, like, <laughs> come on, Adam. Like, get on this. Like, why are they both these weddings on the exact same day? Like, that's that's, that's weird. nuts. Like, that's nuts to me, right? Like, isn't this crazy?
1: I'm also fascinated, and I know there are people out there who are like, sports,
2: stick to sports.
1: It's not all sports within a team dynamic and hell, uh, even the fight game is a team dynamic. RJ was a professional fighter for a long time and he does his fight stuff for Sirius XM and he works in TV around the fight game. Fight camps and fight teams can have drama. We know of drama over the years. Organizations can have drama with, as we said, schisms and, you know, different things can break apart a team, I'm going to go down this path because I actually think this this is reality. And if people aren't comfortable talking about it or like airing, you know, dirty laundry. You know, it's interesting with Waller. Waller fought his battle against addiction. Probably a lot, you know, doing it on his own and then with assistance, right? Mm-hmm. Then he gets into a relationship with a fellow high-level athlete. And then I wonder what goes into that conversation because I, I was always fascinated. My mindset, Patrick, manager's with Danica Patrick now with an actress or he was with an actress like these things do change how you look at work when you get into a relationship and there's someone else influencing your thoughts both good and bad
2: yeah um and obviously with you know with Max his his fiance they've been together I believe since college and like lived through the bad parts of the addiction like she you know I think with CBS is a really really good um you like pre-show kind of feature on that. And it's like focused on her and what she went through. And that's, and that's really true. The true victims of addiction, right? Like I make my decisions and if I hurt myself, I hurt myself, but I got a wife and a daughter. I got to worry about, I got coworkers who depend on me, friends that, you know, those, those are the real, you know, victims of addiction. And so when you're marrying, when you're Max Crosby, you're marrying someone who lived it with you and watched your highs and lows. There's an appreciation there. When you're Darren Waller and you're marrying, you know, professional athlete, I'm not saying it's not, you know, not going to work or stuff, whatever, but it's a different perspective entirely. And I don't know. I just hope she's I hope she's sensitive to to what to what he's been through. Yeah,
1: and, and with Plum, I was actually more referencing just your workplace relationship with the organization and you know what you're willing to do. I mean, Derek Carr, without saying it, kind of threw Waller under the bus when Carr came out of the locker room crying after the Colts game and was talking about you know he's willing to do this and put this in his body, and made a suggestion that others on the team weren't. Uh, then Camp Carr went to a local reporter, kind of leaked to them that oh, it's Waller that he was talking about. And then of course everyone steps back and they're like, no, 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 that's what happened. Um, but you wonder, you know, again, relationships can change people, and it, it can be for the good. You, know, you maybe maybe as a, an athlete, you shouldn't be all gung ho to do everything the organization wants you to do, and. Know, become a a little more well rounded. I mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and we're talking to RJ Clifford, Autumn Windbags, also does a lot of MMA work for Sirius XM. He's one of the stars of their combat channel. Um, Vic Tafer, our buddy from The Athletic, mentioned yesterday that the Raiders are out
2: on Aaron Rodgers. Do you believe that, and are you happy about that? My theory, my working theory, is that Aaron Rodgers is going to be staying in Green Bay. I think he's, I think, look, it's working multiple you know Super Bowl champion there multiple time NFL MVP there uh finding a place where he can succeed better a a team that's going to trade for him and be able to give all his assets be able to pay that salary I think he stayed I'm not reporting it I just think he stays in Green Bay and so I think Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels found that out maybe at the combine and said let's get let's get ahead of this let's say oh look We're in it for the long haul. We're not looking for a quick fix. We're going to build a rookie from day one. We're going to have a franchise quarterback that's going to be with us 10 to 12 years. We don't want to put a Band-Aid on it like Aaron Rodgers who can be gone after a season. We're in it for the long haul. And if you're Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, after turning a 10-win playoff team into a 6-win team that gave up so many halftime leads... You are trying to buy as much equity as possible. You're trying to paint the picture. Yeah, maybe we're going to win six games again next season because we're building for the future. It's not that we're bad coaches or bad GMs. We're building for the future. We're starting young. I think that's the political game that they're playing. Ironically, I think that's what they should do. I think that's really what they should do. You, You try to find that franchise quarterback. We have the seventh pick overall. We can trade up if we want to. That is the correct move. And it's also the politically smart move by Mick Ziegler, as we call it.
1: R.J. Clifford's with us. What bridge quarterback do you want? Because you're probably not going to roll a rookie out there in the uh, opening of next season.
2: I think no matter what we do, let's say we even do sign Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady comes out of retirement again. like, Or we get a rookie. Whoever, I want Jared Stidham in that building. I want Jared <laughs> Stidham in that building. Um, he was in this very perfect spot where last season he pl- didn't play... He played well enough. We're like, okay, at least have him be our backup. He knows the system. The team responds to him. Um, he played against two of the best. played the Super Bowl champions in the Chiefs, and the Niners are the best defense in football, and played well. Like, he went 0-2 um, and, and lost a game with the last-second interception, right? But he played pretty well considering who he was going against. I want him in the building. And he didn't play so well that I think any of the other 31 teams are going to be like, oh, let's throw $30 million at him and make him our starter. Like, he didn't play that well. But if he played well enough, let's keep him. So I think Jared Stim is part of the pitcher, either the backup for a high priced free agent that they may or may not bring in, or either the bridge quarterback slash kind of, you know, clipboard visor quarterback to help out the rookie. I think I think he's just he's shown enough that he he should be. And I think he's I think he's more valuable to the Raiders than any other franchise because he knows Josh McDaniel's system so well. So we sh- there's I don't, I don't I'm 90% sure we're keeping him, and he should be one of those two roles
1: crazy thing with the bridge market is that they're not all going to come cheap. So in the case of Jimmy Garoppolo, he's the backup for a lot of organizations after say Rogers and then Derek Carr, like that ain't going to be a $12 million
2: quarterback on a one or two year deal. That's like the worst case scenario. And for a while there, I thought that was the most plausible scenario, right? Cause he'd be, cause he'd be the cheapest, right? You know, Rogers or Brady, like these free agent guys. He'd be the cheapest. Uh, he knows Josh McDaniels' system, right? All he does is win. we get it right. Played for the pass, played for the Niners played on really, really good teams. He's the one that kind of made the most sense as a bridge quarterback, but I mean, he's not going to be healthy throughout the season. His ceiling is so low. And this, he's a, if you're a court, if you're a, if you're a decent quarterback away from making a run, he's the guy that you can say like, okay, we know where we're getting with him. Let's get him. That's not the Raiders. It's not the Raiders. So, I I would much rather have Jared Stidham fill in whatever role Jimmy G may or may not fill in. He's just he's already he's already proved what he's capable of and he's gonna be so much cheaper. Autumn so Winbags podcast, check
1: it out man, on all the platforms, man. especially YouTube. RJ Clifford is here with us. And you know, the, the problem with the top of the market and then the bridge market is the Jets are very much involved and they're very much desperate, and they are buffoons. And I'm a Jets fan, mm-hmm. but I have to admit, they can be buffoons, so they could be the team that steps up doesn't get Rodgers, doesn't get Carr and signed Jimmy G to like, you know, three years and $60 million with $35 million guarantee. And you're like, wait, what happened to the cheap bridge option? Why aren't you playing the game jets? They could screw this whole thing up. Now going back to the longevity deal with Ziegler and McDaniels, you're right. This is best case scenario. Let's build Mark, relax. Look at the division. We need some time. We got to build. The other thing they can mention, and this is kind of a sinister angle. Do the Raiders really have to win this year to make money? I mean, have you looked at if Mark Davis wanted to go with the attitude, hey, you know what? We can tank because fans are going to show up. We've barely been here in Vegas. And our our home schedule this year, aside from the division opponents, Broncos and Chiefs will travel well, so I'll make boffo money on that. Yep. The Raiders host the Jets, the Packers, the Patriots, the Vikings, the Steelers, and the Giants. Can you have a better set of six teams with lunatic fans who will do anything to come to Vegas to watch a game? They're going to make money hand over fist,
2: whether they win nine games or three. It's such a weird thing because Mark Davis. It was reported that you know a month or two ago he was so mad that the Allegiant Stadium was full of away fans, especially the last two games, Chiefs and Chiefs and Niners. Right, like you got two playoff teams that have Super Bowl hopes. Uh The Raiders are out of the playoffs, playing a back, you know, backup quarterback. Like what fan base wouldn't want? to spend a weekend in Las Vegas, beat up the Raiders on, like, New Year's Eve, right? Like, it's just just too ripe for it. So he's saying, like, oh, man, I'm so mad that it's all these away fans. But then he's like, okay, does he really care? Does he really care? Like, is it is he really staying up at night that Allegiant Stadium is full of red jerseys and not silver and black when he's making money hand over fist? I don't know. I don't don't think he cares. I mean, obviously, he's competitive, right? Like, he, he wants to win. But when you're making all that money, like win, lose, or draw, the fans are going to be there. Like the, the, the tickets are going to sell. So don't, I, I don't want to hear him being like, oh, man, I'm so darn Like why can't we show more loyalty? It's like, well, while you're charging up the wazoo for PSLs to begin with. Right. And then, you know, like we had guys on our show, like because there were some segments of the fan base that were like, don't sell your don't sell your tickets. Just need to have a home field advantage. It's like we had a, one of my listeners said, like, look, I paid for my entire season tickets by selling the Chiefs and Niners games. I got yep. to go to all those games, all, all the home games for free all season because I sold two games that were, were already out of the playoffs, already giving up on the season, playing a backup quarterback. Why wouldn't I do that? Like I, I'm not going to blame those guys at all.
1: I, I really, I don't believe fully in the Broncos, but I believe fully in Sean Payton. So the division is not
2: going to get any easier even three years from now. I don't think this is a team that's can be rebuilt or can tank. So like, look, there, you got to understand. And you know this, Steve, like there's a difference between just getting better and rebuilding and tanking, right? Like, yeah, let's get rid of players that aren't playing that well and are expensive. Let's bring in young players that are better. Like that's just what every team does all the time. Tanking is when you're saying, all right, let's take our really good expensive players that are still valuable and trade them for assets for the future. The Raiders don't really have players like that. Like all are really good players Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, like these guys are all young. Like these are guys that you do a rebuild with. These are guys you grab for a rebuild. And so, like the only guys that like, you can potentially make any sense to trade away to quote unquote tank, Devontae Adams and Darren Waller. That's it. Everyone else, because they're, they're over 30, the, everyone else on that team that's worth anything, you want to keep because they're young. So we're in this weird position, Cofield, where it's like, Yeah, we won six games. We only won six games. There's so much upheaval. New quarterback. Defense is atrocious. But still, like, we were in almost every game last season. We were in the playoffs in 10-win season two seasons ago. And it's not like we're loaded up with these expensive contracts for players that are in win-now mode. This, This isn't a tankable, rebuildable roster. It's just a get better as best you can roster
1: check out the autumn windbags podcast it's awesome it seems like daily content creativity on it is freaking awesome and i'll get to a couple of the real creative stuff that you guys have talked about the last couple of days in a few minutes big fight weekend on the way and rj is great oh, on yeah. the fights he was a professional fighter he's been doing fight talk on sirius xm for years and years and years so what do you think of power slap on march 11th all right here we go big <laughs> fight weekend. What? wait, what's what I love power slap, and I want to talk about John Jones and UFC. I love power slap. Uh, we have a schism is the word of the day on this mm-hmm. discussion. We have a big, really big Fisher on this show. I love power slap. Adam Animation. Hill hates it. Yeah. He penned Johnny. a story two weeks ago in the local paper and crushed it. Uh, Dana White now has him in his bullseye again mm. and has been blasting at him on different interviews. I sat down with Dana White at the Super Bowl and it was a love fest. Oh, we had so much fun together. I haven't sat down with him face to face in like five years. He obviously um, didn't remember you then. No, he, oh, who, oh, <laughs> he, no, he does. He does. He, he, okay. he walked up and he's like, Stephen Cofield. And I'm like, yep, the one, the yeah. only. But then I, and I, I wasn't bullcrapping. I really like it and I watch it. And mm. I know those of you in the, the fight game. There's a lot of traditional fight media who freaking hate it. I love it. There's a simplicity about it. It goes back to the roots of original MMA. I don't think there's going to be the politics for now and the pay issues uh, that have made you know a lot of the MMA game kind of miserable because we don't get
2: the fights that we want. What do you think? Do you hate it? I'm going to get you... I'm going to get Adam uh, a pair of like a like a necklace, like a pearl necklace, so he can clutch them every time you bring up power slap. Cause I feel like that's what he wants to do anyway. So instead of like metaphorically doing it, he can physically do it. But this is my thing with power slap. The instant gratification of power slap is unparalleled. You're going to see someone get flatlined 10 times in 30 minutes. Like it's, you can't, you, right? And at the end of the day, what attracted us all to combat sports? First and foremost, knockouts. We want to see holy crap moments that make you jump out of. Lorenzo Fertitta, when he owned the UFC, once did an interview like the real, the only real thing that the UFC owns is holy crap moments, make you jump out of your seats. I like, can't believe what I just saw. Right? Power slap is like, all right, let's get rid of everything else and just get, let's just uncut, unrefined violence. Right? Yeah. And so I can see why that's and that's so it works so well on social media. That works so well when you're. At a bar with your buddies and you don't hear the sound, the TV's on, you're like, Oh, would you see that knockout? Like it translates to a lot of very good elements of of consuming sports. I just don't know if it can transition to, oh, there's stars. Like this slapper is different than the other slapper. Like, oh my God, this slapper has been out for three years and he was the slapping champion of light heavyweight. Now he's gonna try to be the slapping champion of heavyweight. Like, is there a, a John Jones story in Power Slap? I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's if, if and if anyone can do it, it's it's the UFC and Dana White. That's the transition they're gonna have to do. Yeah, it's got right. the viral sensation element to it that's unparalleled. Can you turn it into something else? That's yet to be seen.
1: RJ Clifford's with us. Quick timeout, we'll come back, we'll get into. I'm not gonna call them the real fights because I do like power slap and I think they're legit athletes. But John Jones is back, he's in Vegas. That's freaking awesome. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. In at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. All right, back here, Cofield in Reno, and RJ Clifford from Auto Windbags and sirius xm is opening the show with us. John Bontobel along in just a few minutes from Treasure Island. Last couple things on Power Slap. They got stars. They got not well, not not yet, not yet. It was actually it was very interesting. One of their best slappers to this point, is a dude named Vern Cathy who fights at, I think it's 205, I don't know, he weighed in at 189, so he was a little smaller, but um, his opponent got booted for medicals, and they bring a guy in who was 189 pounds, and then the guy's like, yeah, I've never been in a slap fight. I'm like, wait a second, this guy's your top seed, and your fill." I mean, that that part, that's where you're like, whoa, this is, get, this is a little bit dangerous, but I think as they build it and they get a bigger pool, you're gonna have a lot of qualified people, and yeah, it, it has the holy-ass moment, and even watching two people go three rounds, and slap the crap out of each other and take the slaps is Mm -hmm. actually entertaining. You're like, oh, my God, how did that not take them out? Now, the other thing is, and I know a lot of you traditional MMA people, not to brand you, but I'm one of the lone fans of the tough format. You know I defended that all the time when we did radio together. So the the Ultimate Fighter house and building stars, I still like the format. I still think it works, and so far it's worked on this show. Um, And I think this is reinvigorated. Dana White, because all that stuff I mentioned at the start of this conversation about, um, you know, no politics, the money issues, all it's, it's the simplicity that he loved at the beginning of UFC. Like he's, he's almost back to being a, a fight fan with, without all the distractions. So that's kind of where it's cool. But I also understand the other side paying guys 500, a thousand bucks, $2,000. And with that kind of danger present is a
2: little bit questionable. I mean, it's weird because if you hear some of these guys' stories, like that two grand is not life-changing, but it's like, okay, that made our that made my summer. Like you look at some of the stories of why, like to be an MMA fighter, right? To fight to fight in the UFC, like it's not like you were, all right, am I gonna go to medical school, law school, live off my dad's trust fund, or cage fight? It's like you're cage fighting because that's probably your only option, right? Like there's boring fighters, you know, and there's obviously you know, fantastic wrestlers and like, like, you know, Bo Nickel makes his UFC debut, like Olympic caliber wrestler. He had a bunch of, like this, there's, there's high caliber athletes that choose mixed martial arts, but a lot of them are, it's, I'm going to fight my way out. Like I'm going to get out of this trailer park. I'm going to get out of this podunk town and I'm going to do it by cage fighting. You take that story and you times it by 10 and that's the power slap guys. Some of them, like some of these guys, it's like, this is they're this 2000 bucks that they're making. It's going to get me through the winter like that. There's that part of it. And so, you know, I'm kind of libertarian-ish when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like, if you have all consenting parties involved, who am I to say, like, no, you can't make that $2,000 is going to be life-changing because it offends me or, it make you know, it makes me uncomfortable. Now, fight for better rights and try to get more money and, and do everything you can. But to say, like, get rid of power slap because, eh, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, I, I can't say that. And that's, and that's just those guys. Like, I work on the production side of the UFC. That's hundreds of jobs. Cameramen operators, audio guys, like the, the, the city gets put to work when, when Dana White puts on anything. So there's a lot of other elements to this. Like, yeah, okay. You don't like guys getting knocked out by slaps. Okay. Let them do it because they want to do it.
1: All right. So let's make the transition here to USC 285 and John Jones return. You know that I am a, I'm a big John Jones fan. I think he's amazing. I think he's the best of all time. the, lack of repercussions for what he's done over the years, learning lessons, discipline, all of that. I don't think any of that's been there. But on the discipline stuff, it needs to be now uh, because he's coming back after a three-year hiatus. So from people you talk to, what kind of work has he put in? Has he put in or put on good weight? Is he going to not have ring rust here through hard work the last, say, six months or a year?
2: Impossible to say. Absolutely impossible to say. But I can say that it looks like he's been pretty – He's surrounded. So he hasn't been good about surrounding himself by good people. Um, people like I, I, under, I understand why a lot of fans don't understand this, but like, yeah, you have high-end, high-level millionaire athletes in, in the UFC like John Jones. But for every fight gym where there's a John Jones, there's thirty dudes making thousand dollars on regional shows that make no money. And those guys look at John Jones as like, "Oh, this is my way out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a hanger on. I'm gonna be a yes man." He surrounded himself with those people. So far, this camp, he's been surrounding himself with guys like Walt Harris, who's a semi successful UFC fighter, like had a decent career in the UFC. Other other guys that, like, they don't need to be John Jones's yes man, which is a good sign to me. Like That's a good step in the right direction. Not that there's maybe not other troubles that follow him, but that's a, that's a positive step in that direction. But three years away, up a weight class against a guy who's a game changer in the sport and surreal gone at, at heavyweight. Like, there's no fighter like surreal gone at heavyweight. I'm not saying he's the best fighter in the world at heavyweight. Uh, Francis Ngannou beat him, but he has a style that isn't old school. It is it is new school, new style. If you if you miss a few years, like you're behind the eight ball. And obviously, and also with John Jones's last two fights, Thiago Santos and Dominic Reyes, I thought he lost those two fights when he was fighting at light heavyweight three years ago. I thought I, there were decisions. You can make an argument that he won. I thought he lost them both. So, what kind of John Jones are we getting? No clue. No clue. Are we getting the John Jones that just like? Took down Stefan Bonner with seven different takedowns early in his career? Are we getting the 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 careful John Jones that just picked apart Rashad Evans for 25 minutes? Are we getting the guy who fought Alexander Guffson the first time and threw nothing but cojones and guts managed to get through it? We don't know. And every time you hear interviews to Surreal Garner's or his coaching staff, you're like what kind of John Jones are you expecting? They don't know either. They just give the regular line, oh, we're preparing for the best. It's like, yeah, you're not preparing for the worst. What kind? They don't know either.
1: What's he going to weigh in at? How much weight does he put on?
2: I think he said in the in the media day on Wednesday about two fifty. So obviously he fought over two oh five. He said he got over two sixty. That was his very very heaviest. Like he's like yeah that was, <laughs> that was yeah. his very very heaviest. L- luckily for him, like if you would have made this jump in six months, go up to heavyweight, I'd be like ugh that's kind of that's 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 rough. Three years if he has been disciplined. Now, he's saying he is. Who knows? It's John Jones. But if he has taken this weight gain seriously over three years, it could work.
1: And that's always a worry in these matches when guys go up from 205 to heavyweight. Did they put too much weight on because they're trying to, um, you know, cope mentally with the size difference, and then actually make themselves too slow and too sluggish?
2: And ironically, Cyril gone isn't a, ra- a grappler. He's a pure, ki- basically a pure fluid yeah. foot movement. Kickboxer. So if they if you're if there's any heavyweight, you any elite heavyweight you're gonna fight in the UFC where you want to maintain your speed and not worry about getting bullied, it's surreal gone, which is why it was such an interesting matchup. Because he would have if he would have come back and fought Stipe Miacich, Curtis Blades, either of the Sergeys, it's like, okay, how can he handle a big 250-pound grappler coming up right. in weight? He doesn't have to worry about this weight class. If anything, like he can weigh, he can wait. Just walk around, wait, wait at 205. Might have been the best option. But he thought this whole time, he was fighting Francis Ngannou. Obviously, that didn't work out. Got to make a pivot.
1: One of the great all-time fighters in MMA history. Uh, former UFC champ, dominant at 205. John Jones back in the cage this weekend. RJ Clifford from Sirius SiriusXM uh, doing MMA on the Combat Channel is here with us, breaking it down. So if I'm going to get in the mind of John Jones, if I'm going to get to 250 and I'm going against the guy who's a striker and is mobile and can move, I would think this is going to be a power type fight. He's going to fight the fight that he should fight, which is close the distance, grapple, get gone to the ground. But you mentioned a brilliant thing, uh, you know, a really good observation over the years, Jones has been unpredictable. And I've seen a lot of fights where he's gone in and he's like, I'm going to fight your fight. I think if he does that, if he wants to sit there and strike from a distance and beat gone at his own game, then there's no way I can bet
2: John Jones. It could be a weird, boring staring contest if that's what he chooses to do. Because John Jones isn't a super aggressive striker. He's like, I got this long reach, I'm gonna plod forward. I'm gonna, you know, front kick you, poke you in the eye, jab you. Like, you know, every now and then I'll spin, I'll, I'll throw in a spinning back kick, but that's kind of how you know, he's not just an in-your-face Jeremy Stevens throwing hooks aggressive guy. Cyril gone is so fluid for there's no heavyweight that fights like surreal gone so fluid he can jab from both stances knows how to move knows how to stay off the cage if surreal gone wants to just counter and john jones wants to just fight long there could be long periods of just kind of nothing in this fight that's a very very real possibility and it could be one of those fights where it's like you don't know who won either one of the rounds because not that much happened now i feel like john jones can't be so prideful where he doesn't recognize how much of a wrestling advantage he has over surreal god. A one-legged Francis Ngannou, who I don't think owns a wrestling singlet, was able to out wrestle <laughs> surreal god. And then and and the, the the old John Jones that we still see is the John Jones ground and pound. Like the elbows and when he gets on top, gets half guard, he's just just twisted evil and I love it. So like that that that, that he can't possibly be so proud. He doesn't understand what he could do on top.
1: I'm really looking forward to the fight. I'm still very angry that UFC couldn't put it together. I don't, I can't say I don't care about the money issues, but I think uh, outside of reliability and showing up on fight day, which is kind of a big deal, I think the UFC should have paid John Jones over the years and paid him what the real market rate is. And it's a shame he's been gone for three years. On the the money front, what do you think he's getting for this fight?
2: Probably 10, 10 mil. Okay. Eight to 10 mil, I would say. I mean, it's um, the and you think And you think
1: in the past he wanted what? like 20 or 25 and the UFC is just like, Nope, here's the line. Can't do that. Well,
2: if, you, if you believe Dana White, John Jones asked for Deontay Wilder money. And at that time it was in the thirties and forties, right? Uh, like the very, very like mid thirties, probably Deontay Wilder was making with like the, the Tyson Fury rematch. Um, and that's, and that's, and that's always been the case with the UFC is there's no one fighter that makes it worth it to the UFC's bottom line to change their business model. But John Jones hasn't fought in three years the UFC has never been more profitable over the last three years. They've literally never made more money when arguably their best fighter and arguably their second biggest star behind Conor McGregor has been on the sidelines. Like if you're look, we all want fighters to make more money. Like just imagine the caliber of athlete in the UFC. If every single fighter minimum made six figures, like we would be getting Olympic wrestlers, world-class boxers like we be getting insane athletes but the reality is the ufc business model it's like our second biggest star was gone for three years not only did we not miss a beat we've never been more profitable i don't know how to turn i don't know how to change it but i just know the realities
1: rj clifford autumn windbags where can people find the podcast
2: uh anywhere you watch your podcast and of course on youtube is where we put the bulk of our stuff uh yeah just youtube or just youtube the autumn windbags we'll be there
1: All right, rj appreciate it thank you so much thanks for spending so much time with us of course, anytime. All right, there he is, RJ Clifford. We'll come back. JVT checks in from Treasure Island. We'll get into uh, more on the Raiders and a lot of college basketball here on this Friday. Follow the guys on Twitter
0: at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield & Co. Mm-hmm.
1: A few weeks ago, our first take, they let me do 60 seconds on Jalen Brunson, and I gave him some love. And what I said was, since January 1st, since the you know start of the new year, he's playing as well as any guard in the NBA outside of Damian Lillard. I said that Those are those a direct quote right there. And the responses to that showed me how many f-ing casual fans there are. Some people were like, well, what about Steph? I'm like, well, Steph is injured right Steph now. He's not <laughs> playing. <laughs> what the...
0: Hang in at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. You hear J.J. Redick, never a man that is um, shy to give an opinion, especially in the NBA, being a former NBA player himself, talking on his podcast, Old Man of the Three, about the casual fans in the NBA. We'll get to that in a moment. A reminder for all of you, if you are listening, Golden Circle Book and Bar inside TI is the spot where we're at right now. So if you want to come on down, Got some swag for you, too. You got some T-shirts. Also, uh, not only do we have tickets to the Mountain West Basketball Championships coming up next week, but uh, I did not know this until I opened up my uh, envelope full of goodies. The 2023 NIT Finals are going to be here at the Orleans Arena. We got tickets to that as well. So come down, grab some stuff, grab a T-shirt, say what's up, and then enjoy, of course, what everything has to offer here at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bart's. great spot, especially with the NBA card about to get started in college basketball already underway, but it's a good sports night tonight on this Friday. So I'm not going to – I won't dive too much into it. I actually think, you know, J.J. Reddick's pretty good at his job, but I never like to swipe at people, call them casuals. It's the, uh, the biggest insult you can levy at somebody when it comes to the world of the NBA. Um, and I'm not really a big fan of, like, elitist attitudes for the most part. I might, this might come down as surprising as somebody who might come off as uh, an elitist himself sometimes, or at least I feel people think that way. Um, you know, I was listening to a Pro Football Focus podcast earlier today, actually when I was on my way in, and uh, Sam Monson and those guys do a really brilliant job at the podcast, but they spent a couple of minutes kind of laughing at other media members during some of the media availability in the combine, talking about players and how they don't really ask football questions and then making fun of some guy with a lot of questions. I'm not like that, right? I'm a man of the people. So, you know, J.J., not everybody can follow the league as closely as you do, although I will say not knowing Steph Curry's not playing is a little bit of a uh, – a blemish on the resume, if you will, if you are talking about the NBA at this point right now. But I wanted to focus more on the combine here as we're waiting for Steve Cofield is going to rejoin us out from Reno. He's up there as UNLV is getting set for their regular season finale. So we're going to hit up Cofield here in a couple of minutes. But I wanted to focus on the combine because it is combine season and I know a lot of you, just like me when you're at home, probably have it on and you're watching. I was watching it earlier today and my son was entranced by dudes in really tight outfits just running in straight lines for like 20 minutes, you know, talking about how fast they are. So there's not really a lot you can glean from the Combine. And this is my favorite time of year in the National Football League. And I'm, I'm going to bring this elitist thing, I think, full circle here. Because I will say, there are times where I think media members in general run out of stuff to talk about. Okay, And I don't think that that is true. I think there's always something to talk about when you're coming into it from the prism of, you know, sports talk radio. And I, I, around this time, the two things really start to stick out. It's that people are descending on the NBA for the first time, so you get a lot of the same topics, load management, things like that. And then people are watching the combine and taking any little thing they can get out of the combine, whether it be interviews or whatnot, and making it something. And they've got to do something with it, right, because they need content. And the NFL is a beast and anything NFL-wise people are really going to hang on to. And so a lot of people call this a lying season. I call it read way too much into quotes season because that's exactly what we do. But there's also times where we just need to drum up stuff for content's sake. So, for example, we get a report coming out now, and I guess this is a report. Headline. This is a great one. Team with the top five pick, quote, very likely to trade back in the draft. So first off, the Chicago Bears have the first overall pick and are heavily rumored to be looking to move that thing. The Bears themselves have essentially come out and said they're looking to move the first overall pick. I think we know that there's a team with a top-five pick very likely to trade back in the draft. However, when you look at, like, around and you read a little bit more into this report, it stems from Ian Rappaport and a hit on the drive out on Fox Sports nine ten in Phoenix – that was earlier today, and the host tweets out that after our interview with Rapshi this morning, it sure sounds like the Cardinals trading down for number three is very likely to happen. Okay. I love reports like that because very likely opens the door for if they don't, ah, we said it was likely. We said it was very likely. Still left the door open for that to happen, or maybe not. So this is what we do around this time of year, which is you got to drum up content. And I, The Cardinals, look, they are a candidate to move down in the NFL draft. There are. A lot of good quarterbacks that are going to be available within this top four. More than likely, the two top quarterbacks are going to be gone with picks one and two if the Indianapolis Colts do indeed trade up to number one and draft whoever it's going to be. Bryce Young, who we'll get to momentarily. C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, who we'll also get to momentarily. But it would assume, you would assume that the Colts and Texans, if that trade happens, or any team that trades up for number one, it's going to be two quarterbacks that go number one and two in whatever order you think those quarterbacks are going to be. Number three for the Arizona Cardinals is interesting because the Cardinals are in all but a rebuilding year this season with Kyler Murray recovering from his knee injury coming into the year and a team that they really thought their window was a lot more wide open than it was a season ago. So now they're coming into a year where there's a lot of aging veterans or guys who are not going to be on the roster anymore. Rumors that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be on the block to be traded off. This could be a really bad year for Arizona. So do you use your third overall pick to grab somebody? or do you trade back acquire assets and of course allow maybe another quarterback to be selected with the third overall pick. And who that quarterback is going to be is also pretty fascinating. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal thinks uh, like I don't should, I shouldn't say things. In his it is mock draft had the Raiders selecting Anthony Richardson in the top 10 with the 7th overall pick. Richardson seems to be a guy that is potentially moved up into the top 10. I don't know about top 5, but top 10 seems very likely although I think that we overvalue where these quarterbacks go because we fall in love with the position because it's the most important position in football, and we tend to overthink where these guys are going to end up in the NFL draft. The other is Will Levis. So, all right let's play this because Levis, of course, is one of the few quarterbacks who is actually going to throw at the NFL Combine tomorrow, and he was asked about why he would choose to do that, and he gave you the cookie-cutter Awesome, like, man, we want to draft this quarterback because he's, he's the guy type of answer.
1: Nah, I think um, physically, I just say my arm talent. I think I got one stronger arm that's come out of any draft class in recent memory. And then just who I am as a person, kind of my morals, what I stand for, my values. And I think that's been uh, the most kind of beneficial thing for me to be able to share with these coaches throughout these formal and informal interviews to just get them to know me as a person, get them to kind of understand how seriously I take every aspect of my life and just letting them know how much I love ball and how I'm able to use those values and those morals to make me the best person in the locker room and on the field as possible. Not everybody goes through the... the...
0: Oh, okay. We ended. At the end, he was supposed to be asked, uh, at the end, everybody goes through all these throwing drills, and the money quote was, to show them the cannon that I have for an arm. A lot of people are going to like it, and he threw out arm strength a lot in that quote right there. But it also speaks to, if you listen to that... It was a bunch of nothing. It was a bunch of what every other quarterback and or player has said. And going back to what I was listening to on the PFF podcast where these guys were kind of laughing about the media availability, it is true to a certain extent. Or, I mean, these guys say absolutely nothing when it comes to answering questions to the media. You learn nothing about these guys. They're going to give you the same answers. Nobody's going to come up there and say, like, yeah, you know what? I'm just naturally gifted a football man, so I'm going to come here and make some money. Right? Like, nobody's ever going to give you that sort of an answer. It's always going to be those sort of things. But this is what content is now in the National Football League. NFL is a monster. And any little morsel that people can hold on to and grab, you can get. So you go to, like, the Indianapolis Colts, for example. And Chris Ballard the other day, when asked about the thought of trading up to number one, and everybody jumps on the fact that Ballard said he didn't necessarily agree with the thought process that trading up to number one is a home run. It was What he was saying was he doesn't think that trading up to number one is the best way to handle a draft if you have the potential to do it, which I think a lot of us would agree. It's not a guarantee if you go up to number one that the pick's going to work out. That's not the way to do it, right? Because guess what? The Chicago Bears have the number one overall pick, and they want to get rid of it. But Ballard gets that quote out there. Everybody jumps on it, and then you use it as fodder, and then you throw it out there to the Wolves, and everybody talks about it for like two days, and that's about it. This is why I just – look, I love the NFL draft. I like watching the Combine because it's interesting watching these dudes and their workouts and their times and seeing, you know, the little things in football that we don't necessarily appreciate. We're watching the actual games themselves because there's so many moving parts. So the Combine itself is really fun, and it's really fun to watch some of these guys like Will Levis finally get out there and to see him in a somewhat pro setting and go through some of the drills and exercises that some of these pro coaches and scouts want to see them do. And to show off some of their physical traits. But we hardly really learn anything about these guys. And it's almost, right, like a lot of people have asked, like, hey, how come some of these top-tier guys aren't really throwing at the combine? Well, because the only thing you can do at the combine is worsen your stock. You're not going to really make your stock that much better. But if you come out and have a really poor showing at the NFL combine, the only way you're going is down. You're not really increasing your stock that much. But it is lion season, baby. And we're going to read way too much into these quotes as we move around. And I'll say this. I think my best example of some of, of like all of this noise kind of means nothing, right? Like we're going to finally hear um, Bryce Young's official measurements tomorrow when the quarterbacks weigh in and get measured. So we're going to see. Rumor is that he's 5'10 half, and he told the media that he expects to weigh in around 200 pounds. And for, <laughs> and for some, if he weighs 201, then he's a lock to be the first overall pick. But if he's 198 pounds, ooh, I don't know about that. Don't know if he could be a a top pick in the NFL draft. But you're going to start to see this so much more. And the best example I go back to is the Tua and Justin Herbert draft. Where two or three days before the draft, all of a sudden it was like, oh, Justin Herbert's moving up the board for the Miami Dolphins. He's going to be the guy. He wasn't. But we need stuff to talk about. And sure enough, who was drafted before? It was Tua Tungabailoa. So everything, it just, I like, I like this time of season, but I also really despise it because I think we really hang on to too much stuff when it comes to some of the quotes and uh, little bits of meat, we'll call them, that come out. All right, we'll check in with Steve Cofield in the next hour. We're also going to talk about these Los Angeles Clippers and the nightmare that has become L.A. with Russell Westbrook at point guard.